Yeah, so like Charlie said, uh, exports or the new generation of exports is a key investment thesis for us, uh, not just by multi, not just by liquor. Uh, there are some very exciting things happening here. Uh, if you look at the numbers, the Chinese exports have been strong, uh, very strong indeed. Uh, the year-over-year growth was 21% in November last year and 18% in December, beating expectations, I think, for maybe 10 months in a row. Uh, China's share in the global export market also increased to a record high of 17% in 2020. Uh, to set the context, uh, this 17% is not just a record high for China, but also uh, for all countries historically. If you look at the countries like Japan, Germany, and the US, the highest they got reached was only 13% share at the peak. Um, as we dug deeper into the numbers, we found China has also gained global share in a number of advanced product categories, like Charlie said, medical supplies, electric equipment, home appliances, and electric vehicle parts. Uh, the question naturally comes is how sustainable is this growth? And is this just a function of global production disruption? Can China maintain its uh, export advantage if foreign competitors uh, ramp up production? And this, this, this will be a key question before we go on to the ex examples, investment cases. Our research shows that China's strong export growth can be sustained, at least for some industries. And this is not by luck and not a one-time event, but a long-term secular trend. Uh, we talked a lot about the company fundamentals previously. So let's start with the big picture here. Um, first of all, for any meaningful changes to happen in China, uh, the government policy is always the most important. Uh, we talked about uh, dual circulation last time, not sure you remember. This is China's strategy to use their internal circulation or domestic demand to support external circulation or exports and vice versa. Uh, so using, again, using electric vehicle as an example, China has been actively promoting and subsidizing the EV market in order to incubate a local EV industry and the supply chain. And the hope is to leverage the large domestic market to launch into the global marketplace. Um, as Charlie mentioned, Tesla is already doing mm -hmm. this. Another advantage of Chinese manufacture is the superb infrastructure and probably um, not a much argument can be made here that uh, China has spent a lot of money here already. And it will continue to spend enormous amount of uh, money on infrastructure. In the next five, seven, uh, five to seven years, we expect over 24,000 projects totaling 43 trillion RMB, that's uh, 6.7 trillion US dollars of infrastructure spending. Um, the thing about the Chinese infrastructure is also moving to a new level called a new infrastructure. Things like 5G, data centers, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence networks, uh, water conservancy projects, and uh, intercity high-speed railroads. Um, again, to use the electric vehicle as an example, China added 280,000 charging stations in the first 10 months of 2020. We're yet to see the full year number. That's the latest number. That's up 31% year over year. There are already over 1.5 million 
EV charging stations in China, um, already the largest in the world. But China will add another 3.5 million uh, stations in the next uh, five years, consistent with the EV cars, uh, the electric car sales growth. Um, and, and the third is the labor cost. This was a tricky one. Some argue that China may have lost the labor advantage to Southeast Asia. On top of this, the trade war also expedited the move out of production from China. Uh, there are three things to note. First, China is big and the labor cost varies from region to region. For example, the labor cost in Midwest China is definitely cheaper and more competitive than on the coastal areas. Um, second, the efficiency. The dollar for dollar productivity in China is still higher, much higher. Um, in 2019, uh, some estimate the labor productivity index, uh, that's the productivity per hour, was uh, 16 US dollars in China versus $9.50 in India and $6 in change in Vietnam. Our channel checks also suggest that the factory owners think the Southeast Asia manufacturing productivity is 30 years behind China, something like China in the 1990s. Uh, mm. Finally, the labor cost is not a standalone issue and it should be considered in conjunction with the labor policy, the tax incentive, infrastructure, and the business environment in general. So last year, uh, because the coronavirus, many multinational firms had production issues in Southeast Asia. Mm. Yeah. Uh, while China, almost no problem in China. Their China factories will continue working and pretty much running nonstop. So cheaper, not necessarily better. And one more thing to note is the recent uh, China-EU Comprehensive Agreement on Investments, or CAI, signed on December 30th. This offers EU countries enhanced market access to China, things like healthcare, chemicals, electric vehicle, and uh, telecom. Um, because the investment go hand in hand with trade, we also think the CAI will promote <laughs> more bilateral trade with, uh, between China and the EU, and it will be an offset of the trade war impact. Uh, with and exactly. And actually, uh, you know, last year, China surpassed the U.S. Uh, as the number one receiver of the FDI uh, yeah. for the first time. Wow. We, all, we always know this will happen, it, and these things always happen faster than expected. Um, having said this, it won't be all smooth selling for Chinese exports. Uh, given the time limit, I'll be really brief here. We can always address these issues in the Q&A. Uh, number one risk, as Charlie said, is still the global the, uh, economic uncertainty. Uh, as an exporter, what you're living with is the uncertainty uh, with both the demand and the competition, the production ramp up outside of China. So yeah. it's a constant moving target. The second is the currency risk. Um, and our view is actually, we do think that RMB will continue to appreciate over the long term, uh, given China's role in the global economy. But the currency impact on the trade may not be as severe as people think. Uh, for the same argument we just made earlier, that China's upgrading its manufacturing capability and moving up the supply chain. So a benign RMB appreciation probably won't have much impact on the competitiveness of Chinese exports, especially the high-end exports. And last year was a perfect example when the RMB appreciated, uh, but it did not slow down the, uh, the export growth. 
And lastly, needless to say, the trade war will continue to have a long lingering effect uh, or pressure on Chinese exports, especially high tech exports. Remember we said uh, that China is gaining share in a number of product categories already, except for communications equipment, except communications equipment because of the sanction on Huawei and mm-hmm. ZTE. Yeah. And we'll be watching Biden's policy on China closely. And one other thing to watch is the G7 meeting in June this year, uh, whether we'll monitor this to see whether there will be a so-called anti-China coalition in the West. There will be bumps down the road for sure, but we believe this structural change in Chinese exports is irreversible. And uh, that is the move to higher margin, higher technology component and higher value added uh, products.